Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And welcome back to another episode of the Golden Blogs Podcast, the Bearcast. We are back here after I don't know how to describe what we saw in Tucson um, this past Saturday, but whatever it is, it wasn't pretty. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about. I'm Rob. I'm here with all, my every week co-host, Andy. Howdy. And our friend from the East Coast, Pia- Piotr. Piotr writes on our Piotr, Piotr, Peter. I'm just going to call you Peter. I'm just to make it easy. I'm going to butcher your name all night long if I try to go the Polish pronunciation. Don't laugh, Andy, because you would have done the exact same thing if you were on this we side. We practiced this. I know. I practiced so much before we won the air. Um, but Peter, who also writes on our site, he does all of our advanced statistics and analytics. Um, and I thought it'd be fun to have him on talking about pretty much the offensive regression in terms of a, from a statistical standpoint from last year this year along with some other things little fun tidbits that he's he's uh, researched and figured out so that's pretty much it um let's get right to it gents All right, um i'll i'll just start by just by the basics of what happened in the game um cal played arizona um it was uh, I don't know. I don't know what to call it, but it was a it was a football game. Cal loses twenty four to seventeen. Um, Cal was led by Brandon McIlwain at least yard wise. He had a uh, thirty two for forty three for three hundred fifty fifteen yards to the air. Rushed twenty times for one hundred and seven with two TDs on the ground. Both rushing TDs were twenty plus yard runs. Um, other than that, I mean, there weren't any other big plays. There was the one play we will talk about later, but that insane interception to a fumble, to a fumble recovery that led to a touchdown, and in the actual notes is just a interception return for a touchdown because possession never changed. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I don't know what else I can I can roll with, but um, I know Andy and I had a lot to talk about about this game over text messages and a phone call, so I will let Andy start with his opening thoughts for this game I feel like I've gone through a wave of different emotions with this football game um I came off of a flight from LA so I only saw in the moment the second half so (laughs) you can imagine like I basically saw only the worst aspects maybe I should just stop watching Cal (laughs) it's very plausible answer to solve of our problems it might be that I should just retire um and then, so yeah, I just, I, I found myself at the beginning of the game, having done the offensive preview, being like, I legitimately don't know if we're going to win this game. And then by the time that halftime rolled around and I saw that like, we were leading the game and then I saw us driving downfield, I was like, oh, no, 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 we are, we should win this football game. Please don't mess it up. And then when you're in the please don't mess it up mode, usually for me that means pacing across my entire apartment, yelling at the TV, and jumping on the couch. And so that was how my night was spent. A lot of yelling, a lot of frustration on Twitter, a lot of angry text messages and phone calls. Uh, So I ultimately have come to a place now where I look at it, and I guess as I was sort of saying to you earlier, I think – if you look at McIlwain's stat line and you look at his performance, there's a lot of concern over his ability to throw the football. He's very inaccurate. He doesn't really read the defense that well. He tends to float passes. They run high. However, if you told me he was a first-year starter and you know this is his, whatever, eighth or seventh start in college football, maybe I'd give him more of a pass than kind of what I feel like has happened where 
it seems like he's older than he really is. So I've come down off of it a little bit. And like any Pac-12 game is going to be hard no matter what. And like, I think people are overreacting to the loss. The Pac-12 is a challenging conference. Look at every other conference this weekend. The SEC in particular. So, and, and like the SEC this weekend, I feel like there were so many close games and so many upsets that happened because you play in conference. And we forget that. Like Arizona looks bad, yes, and their offense, like I get it, I get it. But I don't want us to overreact to the fact that it's still a Pac-12 opponent. It's not like we went out on the road and lost to an FCS team. It's not like we went out and played an out-of-conference team that was terrible. Um, just so happened to be a game that we probably should have won, and that makes it really frustrating in a year where you, you have a challenging schedule, right? We look ahead, and it, there's no easy wins left. Well, I don't know, maybe a couple. <laughs> Could you say that we're playing in the Conference of Champions, and that's what makes it hard? Yeah, I don't know how many championships we've been winning recently, but... <laughs> well, we, we sure haven't, but... <laughs> yeah. Go men's swimming and women's swimming and diving. Go Cal Crew! <laughs> and three Nobel laureates this year. What up? <laughs> Small victories. Back to ourselves. Everything is normal. Oh, good. Peter, Peter, what about you? Uh, I came in the game, I was looking at the stats, and one thing that concerned me was their... Uh, wide out Sean Poindexter who we basically shut down the uh, Arizona was really good statistically in making big plays over the air and we after the first quarter we shut down Khalil Tate to 1.5 adjusted yards per attempt which is yards um over attempts factoring in touchdowns and interceptions that's basically him falling face forward on a QB sneak and getting more yards than that <laughs> So he basically shut the Arizona offense down, and you know that's the reason why we're ranked sixth, sixth in the nation in S and P plus. And I watch the offense, and there are moments when I'm just like, okay, McQueen has that it factor with the pass. Uh, there was this his second pass of the game was to Duncan on the third down, third and long, and he hit Duncan right on the spot on the cover three hole there. And there are moments when he had these, you know, beautiful passes, strong arm, right on on the money. But there are points where I'm just like, what are you doing. Uh, I don't know if. Wait, hold on. Is this a family friendly podcast? <laughs> it's not anymore. <laughs> not for this one. <laughs> but we'll just watch the language for the rest of the for the rest of the podcast. Okay. That's gonna be a My funny apologies. Beep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. And and I think there are just moments where you know I wrote as like. The offense just needs to not mess it up for the defense. The defense can handle this. Just run the ball. And we ran it quite well. You know, McElwain had his uh, his way with the uh, Arizona defense. Both of his run touchdown runs were 20 yards plus. Those are explosive runs where he shed tackles and just dragged a guy by his, you know, dragged a guy when the guy was just hanging on by McElwain's jersey. Yeah, it's encouraging to see you know lots of yards, but yards don't win games. Touchdowns win games. Points win games, and I'm very concerned about the fact that you know we will score touchdowns, but we'll give away a lot of touchdowns, and this is not sustainable, you know, in the long run, and it might become the difference between a five-win season and an eight-win season. Yeah, yeah. Who would have thought the issue we would have going into the season is that the offense would be scoring for the other team. If you had told me that before the season started, I told you you'd be you're crazy. So let's do like I do think there's some there's a lot in which Peter just said that I want to touch on. So I'm not sure if I want to totally reverse course, but I do think we should circle back on the fact that five weeks ago we were in this room with Trace and we said our predictions, and I'm pretty sure we had Cal going three and two, and then moving to four and two, then back to four and uh, then uh, to five and two. Then to five and three, then to five and four, and then I think it's like six four, and then we I think the seventh one was actually predicted against Colorado, which looks a lot harder now. Yeah. So like we knew that the season would be full of this like up and down knife wrenching type of emotion, and yet here we are, right? And it's like the biggest problem for us is our quarterback is responsible for 28 points for the other team in the last two weeks. Is that accurate? Yeah. That's absurd. <laughs> it's a, he's an elite offensive player for the opponent. Let me give the asterisk to that, though, is that we thought this Arizona team would be a lot different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, we thought what Arizona State is doing is what this Arizona team would be. 
Yeah. But it was it's that's been flipped around. So so in a weird way, the season's playing out as we expected to. It's just I think people are more upset that we lost to this Arizona team that isn't as good as we predicted them that they would be prior to the season starting. Yeah. Totally. I think that's that's the big thing that people are upset about. I don't I this was for me, if this was a full full strength Arizona squad, like the same one that played us in Berkeley last year, this game wouldn't would not be as upsetting. And I think that if that Arizona team plays like they did as they did in Berkeley, I'm pretty sure we would have come out with a bigger loss, like a, a, a way bigger L. With with our offense right now, and if we had to play that Arizona team from last year, and if, and let's be totally honest, if Khalil Tate oh, yeah. was 100% healthy, yeah. even in the game that we just played, oh my God, I don't know how this game would have turned out. Like... Th- Real, realistically, Khalil Tate on a bum ankle gave us a shot to win this game. Yeah. Except we decided to take a shotgun and shoot both our feet off. That's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could see Khalil Tate was limping, and a lot of times when he was walking up to the line of scrimmage, and then he was shying away from contact. And even you know the announcers were like, "Man, he should have just dipped his shoulder and powered through the guy like he did last year." So well, he's a, his left leg is basically falling off at the knee. What do you expect him to do at this point? But there are moments when he's running, and you know the whole team was just caught off guard. I think when we practice, I, a lot of the players just assume, okay, he's not gonna take off. As it was shown on tape, he only had 70 yards rushing coming into the game. He had 40 in the game, so he, you know, 50 percent, you know, 33 percent of his production for the whole year is just cow game with a long of 17. So it's not like it was one long ripping run. It was, you know, these small runs that on the zone read, you know, we didn't, we failed on the scrape exchange for the inside linebacker and whiff. Then Tate gets the third down conversion and that's you know that's kind of infuriating they only had three five third down conversions and one fourth down but every one of those just felt so preventable if we just looked at the zone read because he's not at 100 percent. you're right yeah i mean here's the here's the one here's the two interesting facts i'll bring up last season when brandon McElwain was redshirting guess who was running the scout team prepping for khalil tate when we were about to face arizona Brand- Robbie Rowell? <laughs> no, because he was still in high school. Um, <laughs> it was Brandon McElwain who played the Khalil Tate role for our scout team all of last season when we were prepping for any mobile quarterback, but particularly when we were getting ready for Arizona. Um, and then the, uh, the second interesting little tidbit um, that I wanted to tell you is there's a point, I think, on one of McElwain's runs into the, touch- into the touchdown in the first half where um, I think it's Scooter who has who has a schooler who has him by the like the nameplate or the back of the jersey, and from what I know, it the nameplate actually slightly ripped off, um, maybe oh. about a quarter or so. So one of the trainers had to come in pretty much like glue it back on um, because, and I think that for me was like his strength running is so big. The guy who had his, the guy who was holding on his jersey, and yet he was powering forward so much that his nameplate ripped off his jersey. That's incredible. <laughs> for some reason, I'm thinking about um, that running back for the Oilers, huge guy um, Campbell, who ran and then they just he tore off his jersey while somebody was holding on to him and he had to come off the field because all he had on him was <laughs> his pads. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> I don't know. So, yeah, that the, the biggest thing with, I think Tate, it might have two hurt ankles. And you're right. It looked super obvious that he was hampered. It almost looked like he aggravated the injury in the first quarter. There was one and, point where, he, where we tackled him and he was on the floor, like, like banging, like yeah. banging the, the field. Um, it just looked like he, he was maybe potentially starting to feel right and then wasn't. And then on the flip side of it, uh, Peter, I just want to circle back to a point that you made at the very beginning, which was <clears throat> around like McElwain and some of the good throws he made. Well, like Rob sort of was like, watch, go watch the first quarter. So I was watching the, you know, the first and second quarter 
And a lot of what I saw with McIlwain, like, yes, they're positive, but I saw the same mistakes that kind of caught up with him later in the game. And so, like, for me, it's, like, really challenging with him because he he has that X factor and can be so dynamic. And the biggest question I'll always have with him is, can he, like, play in a situation and not turn the ball over? Because if he can do that, then he's easily our best option going into a USC or Stanford game. We could win those football games with a quarterback like him. But if he cannot possibly do that, I don't think this is a team that can just we've we've said it. We're like, why don't you just go out and, you know, ride the bucking Bronco and see what happens. <laughs> and, <laughs> so, and like so far, the turnovers have absolutely killed us and losing that turnover so, battle has been tough. So guess what ranking we are right now in turnovers compared to the rest of the uh, FBS. Uh, you mean like as a team overall? Yeah, as a team, yeah. Uh, I want to say like mid sixty, mid or sixty, sixty to eighty. We're the worst team in the nation at two point eight turnovers per game. Oh boy! <laughs> you you guessed two point eight turnovers. Andy, game. you just guessed like we were in the middle. Yeah, of the <laughs> we're dead last. I thought it was gonna be like super surprising. Like I thought it was a trick question. Obviously, I tricked tricked myself on that one. <laughs> you overfought yourself. Last year we were 90th at 1.7. So in the last couple of games we were a whole turnover worse. Uh, add to the at salt of the wound, our quarterbacks combined, McGarbers, are one of the few quarterbacks in the nation to have thrown more interceptions than touchdowns. <laughs> the only quarterback that has a worse touchdown to interception ratio than McElwain is um, the Rutgers QB Schwistak, Arthur Schwistak, or something like that. So we are not doing so hot as pa- as a passing team at all. You know, I, I, you know, again, I said he has some good passes, but turnovers matter. These can be random, but they swing games. Yeah. You know, wins the turnover ratio, wins the game, and you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, just take away the turnovers," and you know, we're even with Oregon and winning this game. Yeah, but we're losing UNC. Like UNC was a onside kick away from winning, and they were. You know, in the negative four hole against us. Right. Yeah. So. Exactly. That's like fundamentally it. Empty possessions. To me, it's just it. Does, yeah. You said it perfectly at the beginning. You can get all the yards in the world, but if you're going to come up with an empty possession in the football game, then it doesn't matter. You you inflicted zero damage, like <laughs> the least possible amount of damage. Not a field goal. Like and and I, we can go into the like the the kind of decision and how the game plan switched up after they went for it on that fourth and one. Uh, there's so many places to go with it. But at, at the end of the day, like it's bizarre to me that we have a coach that we've gotten to know so well that focuses so much on a high level of execution. And we have yet to see a football game in five games this year where we have played a well executed, clean game. BYU was the best representation of that. And so for that one might be the exception. Other than that, I don't think we saw it against Idaho State. We definitely didn't see it against Oregon, and we definitely didn't see it against Arizona, and we definitely didn't see it against UNC. So to add to your point about the execution, Cal offense uh, is 113th in penalties per game at 8.4. Last year, we are 93rd at 6.5. We're two panel, whole penalties away from you know last year's average. And you know a lot of it is, you know in the last game, we were what was it, 11 penalties on offense or some double-digit? And I said on Twitter, it was like, we hit the offensive line penalty bingo. Every single <laughs> offensive line and had a, you know, offside, a hold, or one of the two. And it's just, it's infuriating to watch because we're a veteran line coached by a legend in the community. You know, and it's not like we're playing in the... Death Valley or Bama or Michigan or Ohio State where we played before. You know, this is Arizona in on family night. <laughs> family night. There are children out there screaming and causing offsides on us. Like there was like they were talking about how loud it was in the entire beginning of the game and for most of the game. I saw like half empty stands <laughs> and I was like, was it really that loud? Well, what, what Wilcox said in his post game, they asked him how, you know, how the loudness factor affected it. And he said it wasn't as loud as BYU. BYU was like 50,000 people and sold out. Arizona looked like there was half the stadium there. And it, yeah, I thought what he said about the silent counts and all that was really important too. 
and how we like our line. I don't know. I, Greatwood, like I think he's a great coach. I'm confused why it's taken this long for the line to come together, given that it is a veter- veteran unit. I thought that outside of the penalties, I actually liked the performance of the offensive line. It's kind of like one of those things you can't say, I guess, in a way. So I guess I'm saying it, but uh, is that, you know, if you took away the penalties, I actually thought that I saw better pass, better pass protection and that there was holes to run in versus previous games where it looked like the pocket was collapsing. It's, and so, you know, there, it's just, is not consistent. There's no consistency across that unit. And I'm at the point now where I'm like, dude, like bring in Will Craig, like, let's just see what he's got. Cause I want to see if that guy is going to turn it around. You know, we brought in these big dudes for the offensive. Well, let's play them. <laughs> like, why not? There's not, nothing I've seen so far that says that like we shouldn't start switching people in and out. And the coaching staff is as a whole on offense has been in defense. As you always say, inside linebacker has been extremely reluctant to put anybody else into the game. And I, at this point, it can't possibly make us turn the ball over more. Can't possibly make us more mistake prone. Yeah, I think, I think the the big thing for me too is that you. Well, okay, let me let me argue the other point about the other side of the the offensive line argument before we move on to other positions. I think now they know how to play in front of McElwain. I think that the the play of the O line itself, like post snap, like in play, was great. They did a great job protecting him. He he. They gave him time to actually sit there and make his reads. There were a lot of situations where he's just sitting in the pocket making his reads, and if someone gets someone gets broken, his his instincts aren't bad. Where he takes off and and goes, you know, either up the middle or around the edge, and he gets us those you know a few yards from a broken play, or keeps his head downfield and makes a you know a little th- little throw to the flat or or to his tight end and bunting, and we we get a lot more yards than that, but. I think the O-line now knows, hey, McIlwain is the guy that's going to be behind us. We know how he's going to play. When when one, when the pocket collapses, don't move forward. Like, just stay in that formation and just make sure when where the pocket collapses, we slide to just to give him enough time to get out of the pocket and make a move. Whereas when they were playing with Garbers and with him, Dude, I mean, realistically, how how much are you going to be able to constantly switch your switch in your brain mentally of how to how to react on a broken play? You know, like with where where's Garber's going to run to? What are his tendencies? Oh, McIlwain's in? Crap, I had no idea it was McIlwain. Oh, great, I'm caught as an ineligible receiver downfield. Like, <laughs> I think I think now that you have one guy, you figure out his tendencies, you figure out what he wants to do and what he's best at doing. And you go from there. And, and the play calling, too, got significantly better, at least through the first three quarters, where you constantly had guys either, you know, four out wide, five out wide, spreading it out, letting him make his reads. If there's nothing there, he takes off, you know, for three, four runs. And it worked because what Arizona had to do was put one of their inside linebackers on a QB spy the, the rest of the game, which opened up some of those quote unquote pick routes over the middle and also some of those uh, deep corner strikes that we saw to like dunk in and, and bunting. So it works. It's just a matter of the execution. And it, just to wrap up the O-line, I think, I think they'll be fine. But I do want to see what Greatwood can do with a fully recruited O-line that he's coached from beginning to end. Yeah, He's also coaching two guys that are now on scholarship but are former walk-ons. Like, I don't think this line has the prototypical Greatwood size, like bodybuilds from left tackle to right tackle that he wants or wants to the style of play he wants to do. Um, but I think he has those guys literally on this roster right now. They're just not a hundred percent. Yeah. Physically like built into their bodies. Like I think will Craig, no question will be a future NFL lineman, but as of right now, like he's still getting the pass protections down, like where to slide, what to do on audibles, like what are the calls and, and so on and so forth. So that's just my spiel on the, the O-line. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right. So when uh, I think the ringer interviewed the offensive lineman for the Packers, they were asking, you know, how do you block for uh, Rodgers? They're like, well, it's a whole new package. Like, 
blocking for Rodgers and blocking for Hundley last year, were, according to them, was two different stories because you got to learn what he likes to do, how he slides. So you're completely right. Maybe we'll see it better if Mac wins an entrenched starter. You know, maybe we'll see it uh, doing better. It's just... I'm... It's halfway through the season, yo. Like, if we're going to start McIlwain, why didn't we start in week one? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, go through this against UNC and, you know, against BYU, fine. But, you know, once we're in conference play, as, you know, Andy said, it's it's a whole different thing. It's like playing in division in the NFL. You know, the records don't matter because you're so familiar with the people you're playing against. You know, you're so much familiar with the schemes. And, you know, the closer the rivalry, the less meaningful the these distinctions between records and statistics are. Yeah, I mean, here's – I guess we'll move on to the, the quarterbacks and, and the skill players is I, I just had this realization um, this morning uh, when I was just looking through some of the stats and stuff. I just remembered all th- – Two of the coordinators, right, the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator, are former head coaches. They have head coaching experience. None of those coaches at any stops have had a two QB system, nor have they ever, like, tried to use two quarterbacks. So you're telling me <laughs> you're telling me when all those coaches got together and they're trying to figure out what the best way our offense to move is, someone was like, let's throw two QBs out there. Can't decide which one now, so might as well test drive both of them. <laughs> and like, but we'll name the third one the starter. And, and like, just, it, just like, <laughs> in what situation has that ever worked? And the funniest part about all of this is that a lot of Cal fans, after I think the BYU game, were basically telling themselves, "Yeah, I think the QB two QB system could work. It, it, I think it's effective." There's there has been no no situation. Where this has benefited, like you look at you look at Alabama, like sure maybe it's worked out there, but also their skill position players are all NFL first rounders. I feel like I feel like Urban Meyer was somewhat successful with it at Florida back in the Tebow days when Tebow was a freshman, and they'd use him in the power run and well, they, they also had the had, pocket passer. They also had uh, what's it Cam on that roster yeah. too. Yeah. So, I, but I mean, it's not a fair example. Uh, I think the question is how many places that run an offense similar to what we do have used two two quarterback system and done it effectively? There's not. There's not. I don't think any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. It it works where people can can dream up whatever they want. But I mean, that's that's the thing, right? Is you have so much experience on that coaching staff, and for them to go into the season thinking that. This two QB system will somehow sort themselves. Like, I, be, I, I'm truly a believer of this. That let's say we had lost our first three games by going to this like two slash three quarterback system, everyone would be out in full force with pitchforks. Like you would hear the angry mob, right? Yeah. But it's the fact that we still went undefeated that everyone was willing to let it slide, and it bought them enough time to make a decision. And now, well. Now they have to, right? I mean, you. I think you have to roll with McIlwain going into yeah. the UCLA game, but I think he's the starter for the rest of the year. I think probably. he's the starter for the rest of the year too. I don't think you you make that change, but yeah, I mean, I put it out on Twitter the other day. It's like, like I'm not asking for for heated arguments or anything, but in in what world does is what Bauer's skill set worse than what we're seeing on the field? Like that's what I was wondering is that's the that's basically what the coaching decision came to. Right. Is that these guys had something on Bowers that would make this offense more dynamic and more efficient. Right. That's that's pretty much the two key words you're looking for is you want your offense to be explosive and you want your offense to be efficient. But clearly that hasn't worked so far. But let Bowers being a quarterback maybe didn't give you the explosiveness because those two guys can definitely run more. Right. Um, But I mean, efficiency, efficiency wise, Bowers was great and he improved every year. And I feel like I seriously feel like he would have been so good this year. I was begging him. Yeah, I mean, last year, Bowers ended the year as the 81st ranked quarterback in the adjusted yards per attempt. 
Chase Garbers is 99th right now, and Brandon McIlwain is 113th out of 116 quarterbacks. And you know, even though McIlwain's you know passer efficiency stat is right around Bowers's you know average, it's mostly because McIlwain just completed more passes you know like as a percentage of his passes in one game than Bowers did in a 12 game season. Uh, I I definitely see why you know you put McIlwain in a game. He's actually has more yards from uh, more rushing yards than Patrick Laird, not as many as yards from scrimmage, but you know. Our rushing game has not been great either. Patrick Laird was 49th in yards per carry, 39th in yards, 28th from y- in yards from scrimmage, and 54th in yards per touch. Laird regressed 200 spots in yards per carry and yards per touch in uh, uh, compared to every other rusher in the you know, in the FBS. Anything anyone eligible with six and a quarter more carries per game. I don't know what happened to our skilled players. You know, with with these quarterbacks, yeah, they're explosive on the ground, but it affects our passing game too. In 2017, Wharton was 54th in yards. Noah was 75th on yards per catch. Noah was 152nd and Wharton 207th. But now Noah is 280th in yards. Wharton is 301st in yards. And at the yards per catch, Noah is 258th and Wharton at 389th. It's, it's, I don't know what happens. Like we are playing the same players in the same scheme against the same, you know, the, the same level of players. We didn't. This is not soccer where you went up a league from you know League One to Premier League. You know, these are roughly the same quality of college players that they've played. This whole time, but yet, you know, they've fallen hundreds of spots relative to their peers. And I don't know what can cause that. Uh, maybe, you know, Wharton lost some time in the in practice, but not 200 spots worth of yards of, you know, 247 spots worth of in yards relative to his peers. Yep. I just... I don't get it. That's that's the problem with data sometimes. It's like it, it can paint the realistic picture, and sometimes it just doesn't look good. And it makes it look a lot worse than that. Is like the real depressing side of this is is that I I do think full circle that if there's a sword to fall on the quarterback situation, the handling of Bowers, the rolling him out to the press, the putting him out to interviews, naming him the starter late in camp, pulling him away after maybe a quarter of football is one of the worst handled things that I've seen by any coaching staff. Look at that and just say, I hope they learn from it in the next time around and hats, hats to Bowers for even sticking with the program at this point. Um, and then on the Peter with you, with what you just said, I have a really like the only area that I can look at and say the one I question mark I have is with Laird because I do feel like last year he came on super slow and then it was like the back half of the Pac-12 schedule where he really like established himself and then all of a sudden had these really big games. So I was kind of expecting a slower curve to this season as well, like O-line slower curve and then running back behind it. And so I'm secretly hoping that after last game, after seeing some progress, that maybe Addison Ohms won't be snapping the football on the ground every single play, and that our offense will get in rhythm that it'll open up Laird. But Wharton's disappeared entirely. Noah, as the -the over-the-middle threat, just doesn't seem to be there as often um, as he was last year. I mean, he was the possession receiver. And him and Bowers, don't forget, had the best connection between him and any receiver. It's not like, oh, no, we we lost our five-star receiver to Georgia, who... The last time I checked, wasn't doing anything in Georgia and didn't do anything for us last year. Like it, we were not, we didn't lose any talent. It's just like yeah, the we same. We didn't lose production. Like like we didn't lose yards or touchdowns. Maybe VC. VC was tight. Yeah, VC was good. Like, he, and he's the big body receiver, and as a red zone threat, we miss him. But Noah, as the possession receiver that helped us convert all those third downs, like. That was a formula that was working for us consistently, consistently with Bowers and like enough about the Bowers stuff, but like it was there. And uh, and and then all this talk about tight end, we're going to recruit tight ends, we're going to implement tight ends. Tight ends are going to be what we do, dude. Where the, where in the hell is our tight end? 
Like, bunting. They showed up. They showed up a little more over the last two games than they had yeah. at the start of the year. Yeah. Um, but clearly, clearly, like you know, Hudson is not what we expected him to be. Bunting is just one massive target, um, <laughs> and I just don't understand why we don't throw to him more in the red zone. Um, and I guess I guess that's what we'll we'll shimmy into is is the play calling. Uh, offensively, uh, just your your guys' general thoughts on what you saw in Arizona, because I think the big the big one that a lot of people are upset about is that fourth and one call. Um, I don't think a lot of people that I've seen are upset with the fact that they decided to go for it. Um, I know some people are upset that they should have just taken the points. Uh, I'm personally I personally don't mind going for it. I just mind that play call that they pulled because it's. It's it was super reminiscent of Oregon as well, where they they're in there you know within within their five, and they they you can clearly tell they're stacking the box and you decide to run you know an inside zone read, um, and that was it was it wasn't gonna work. Um, inside zone reads have didn't work the entire game. Like I don't know understand why you would think it would work on on fourth and one all of a sudden. As Nam said in some of his tweets, it's like if you wanted to to run it, you spread five wide receivers out wide, and then you motion like a tight end back and attach him to the line, and then you should have just run it because that's where McElwain would have. I think McElwain could have easily gotten that first down if you run it that way. And if and if not, you just stack every single biggest person you have on the old line. You put you know uh, McMorris as a fullback, and then you either QB sneak it with our strong big quarterback where you give it to the guy who everybody meant every broadcaster mentions in the game and he's it's not like McMorris is unreliable ball he's had you know good you know rushes up the middle for two three yards and been reliable there last year and uh for the fourth and one point there's actually a paper by a Cal professor uh David Romer who showed that you know you at that, at that, you know, between the five and the zero yard line of the opposing team, you are going for it because the expected points is between five and six. Like you should be getting this first down or that touchdown, that six points, if you're in the red zone. Am I wrong? So, the, yeah. Was Malik? He wasn't in on that play. He wasn't. That to me is the most criminal part of the entire thing. Is that he? It wasn't even just last year we converted. In that UNC game, we had a fourth down situation, and we ran the ball to Malik, and he got the first down yeah. early in that game. This was that play call on fourth and one was pretty much too wide, um, and then it was an I formation with no fullback. Like us, it was a pistol. It was a pistol with Laird behind McElwain, and it was just a handoff, and it didn't go through. I just don't know why we did why we didn't go under center. It's like the yards that we missed the. Conversion by, and by the way, I thought it was a terrible spot, but besides the point, um, I felt like we lost those yards because we were in shotgun. We made it a, th- a fourth and four instead of what it truly was, which was like a fourth and, you know, maybe less than a yard. And then we were short by like a foot. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, man. We can't get a single yard on offense. Like, I agree. Run power. Like, just run power. We we recruited all these big dudes. We have, you know, the staple running back. And then we have one of the, the biggest secret weapons in all of college football. And we just, we just opt to not use it. But even more so, what I hated was the fact that we completely abandoned the run from that point. We didn't get it. Arizona sustained a longer drive than I think what they were hoping for. Then we had to go to the pass, and then we just completely abandoned what worked for us. We weren't chewing up the yards the same way. And so if you're going to take the points off the board, that's fine, but you better not change the damn game plan that works because now you're down. You have to like maybe make smaller adjustments. You just can't like totally throw out what got you there to begin with. And I mean, we lucked into them clanging the field goal off the, off the post. Right? Yeah. And we had three minutes to drive down the field. And we were talking about this on the phone when I was talking to you is you have three minutes to drive down the field. So it's more than a two minute drill. Right. So what what are you going to do? You're going to run because that's what eats up clock. Right. That's 
Like at the very least, you're down three, right? So all you need is a field goal to tie it to go into extra, to go into overtime. If you can't get the touchdown, the first thing you should do is set up the run to keep them honest and be like, "Hey, we're not gonna go all um, panic mode and just start slinging the ball left and right <laughs> and everywhere." But what do we do in the first play? We spread him out wide, and we force McElwain to throw. He doesn't see the safety coming down um, onto Bunting. He throws the Bunting. Bunting gets beat. Bunting doesn't even see him because he's on a, like, a little button hook and gets picked off, and it's run into the end zone, and now we're down 10. Like, it, it baffles me. It baffles me that you clearly saw McElwain start to struggle with the pass in the second half, and you don't give him second and third manageable yards and instead force him to throw on first down. And that's what killed us. It, that, I mean, the fir- we got the ball back. The football gods gifted us with an opportunity to, to redeem ourselves and win the game, and we just handed them another touchdown. Literally, literally handed them another touchdown. We tossed yeah. the ball to them. What, uh, Peter, do you remember that, that tweet that, um, that Nick put out? About like the five five oh. factors. Oh yeah. So uh, statistically speaking, with our with the game profile that we had, ninety three percent of the teams that uh, had Cal's statistical profiles in yards per play, uh, defense, offense, just without the turnovers, wins the game. <laughs> Arizona had a seven percent chance of winning this game with their statistical play, and they got it. <laughs> we knew who they were and then we let them get away with it. <laughs> so, all right, let's let's flip to the other side of the ball then, to the defense, all right? Here's here's my question that I've been burning to ask somebody um, and get their opinion on. All right? This this defense didn't give up a single point in the second half, right? They got the stops necessary to get the ball back on the offense multiple times. At what, yeah? At what point does me- mentally will this defense start to give it up? Because you have to wonder. You have to wonder, right? You're all gung ho. You're like, yeah, let's do this. Like, we'll get the ball back for you guys. But every time we do that, they either f- scoop and score or or pick six it away, and all you all the guys that on defense did goes to waste. Right, and that and that game's lost that way. At one point, does that mental impact start to hit this defense and be like, "Oh God, here we go again"? Like it doesn't, it won't matter if we stop them here, because the offense is going to shoot themselves in the foot again, and you know we're we're going to lose. Um, that's that's what I'm questioning. Just because we've seen that time and time again over two weeks, and we also saw that pretty much into the first few games too. Like we won those games, but we almost lost because we turned the ball over as well. Yeah. I mean, the defense was after the first quarter, Dave, the longest drive was the 52 yard drive by Arizona that ended with a fumble. And besides that, it was 23 yards that ended at the half. There was a 32 yarder that ended with the interception in the fourth quarter. Besides that 52 yard uh, you know, 52-yard drive. They had six yards on four plays, nine yards on three plays. It's, I think for the defense, it's all about, you know, the mental maturity of the players. And I trust them to be, you know, they're like, okay, you know, we'll do our thing. And it's a team sport. It was also, you know, it's the defense. They, as a group, they, hopefully they believe that however the offense performs, they still have a certain standards that they keep themselves up to. And, Considering the makeup of our staff with Alexander, with Sermon, with the Reuter, with Wilcox, I don't think this team is gonna give up on defense anytime soon, unless we're you know in like a forty-point hole, and at that point we're just playing the third stringer so that starters don't get injured. I personally, I'd be like, yeah, I've never played a competitive sports, so I will, can't say from my point of view how that would happen, but. I just have to trust that they will just take care of themselves and let the offense be the offense. And there were questions in the press conference to Kunashik and Bynum about, you know, uh, and was, what do you guys do to not get on the offense's back about their performance? And 
the way they respond is like, you know, we're a family, we, we stick to each other, we don't point fingers, we just do what we do, and I trust them to be honest with it, you know. It could be their coach to say that they, they think this is what they expect us to say, but I, I personally truly believe that that's what they want to do. Yeah, outside of the dot, dot, dots on Twitter, I agree. <laughs> Oh yeah, that too. Uh, <laughs> that that's a subtweet. <laughs> I don't think that I see them giving up anytime soon. Nor do I see them being like, "What's the point?" I think they're out there for, they're out there for the team. They're out there for themselves too. In a way, you know, like it's their own personal pride. The way Weaver, dude, Weaver's not gonna be ever gonna give up on anything in his life. Um, <laughs> the way that guy approaches things. Um, but yeah, there's got to be some level of frustration. I feel like we had this feeling last year too. Where, you know, even going into spring camp where it just constantly felt like the defense were, were talking and the defense would always, you know, the, the DBs in specific like to talk a lot. And I remember last year, it seems like in practice as the season went on, it felt like the DBs were always just like winning practice, so to speak. Um, and I thought this year would be more balanced. So I just think it's one of those things where, um, I don't know, yeah, you definitely like you win and you lose some as a team and uh, it's you're so bought in at that point. It's it's you're probably putting everything on yourselves and looking at. They probably are looking at that first half and looking at the plays that we talked about earlier on those third and longs where Tate got did get loose and they you know I think that one play Funch just came around and basically had a perfect read um, or that was the when after the they went for it I think um, and then he instead of uh, marking Tate he went after the runner. And we already, I mean, if the runner is let free and Funches doesn't do that and he just tackles the quarterback, the runner gets at best two yards. He was going directly into the D line. And then instead he loses contain on Tate. Tate gets loose, gets first. And I bet that they're more focused on that than, than the offense's mediocrity. And there's one more thing that they are probably focusing on is the fact that they have eight penalty they average eight penalties per game for 115th in the nation so you know there's definitely there's some things to be brushed up on that end of the spectrum too. our defense does yep eight eight penalties per game man i think a lot of those penalties too came against the oregon game too where we were caught off sides you know that pushes us back um, we're caught in a, like a, a hold or whatnot, but so let me ask you this. I mean, just cause we pretty much don't have much to ask on the defensive side, right? Like we don't, I don't think anybody who's a Cal fan who's watched these games has any qualms with what the defense has been doing. If anything, the score doesn't accurately reflect how well this defense has been playing through five games. Which is insane. Yep. <laughs> if you yep. think about it. They're, they're the sixth defense in the nation per S&P plus. Sixth. It's, it's, it's so good. It's why I think that we're going to win seven, eight games. That defense is somewhat going to carry us? Yeah. I think we can play. We, we're going to be in every game. It, there's not a single game I look on the schedule where I'm like, Yeah, we're going to no get blown chance. out from the get-go. Yeah. Like, there's, no, no, there's no game like that. We're going to be in every game. And that is the, the nice thing about this team. And I think... There's a tad bit of overreaction right now with the current state. The offense is abysmal, and listening to Peter's advanced stats on it is depressing. But <laughs> So this is the final most depressing point. So y'all remember how bad Sonny Dykes' defenses were, right? Yes. So Sonny Dykes in 2013's defense, the 1-11 season, was 114th for the nation. In 2014, it was 113. 15 was pretty good, 84. That's when we won Eight games with Jared Goff. <laughs> Pretty good. In 2016, it was two thousand. I'm lowering my standards here, right? It's, it's 3 a.m. at a bar. Um, 2016 was 107th. The Cal offense right now is 117th in the nation in S&P+. Relative to the rest of the field, our offense is worse than any Sunny Dykes defense ever was at the end of the season. Now there might have been points during the seasons where they were below 117, but we don't. I don't have the granular data. So, yay, <laughs> yay. So, so basically, what what we're saying is that we flipped to the other end of the spectrum. But even so, flipping to the other end of the spectrum, it it's never going to get as bad as it was with the other team. 
Well, it's never going to get as bad as it is right now. I really don't <laughs> yeah. think. I think that we're way too talented. And our coaching staff is far too good. The pedigree on the coaching staff on the offensive side of the football is legitimately good. It's legitimately good. We want to have one of the best offensive line coaches ever. Uh, we have supposedly one of, one of the best quarterback recruiters. We have uh, a maybe like somewhat heralded wide receiver coach. And we have a former at one of the best FCS coaches and in, in most innovative offensive coordinators leading the offense. And we have a local guy who went to the school as a running backs coach. Yeah. It's like there's way more talent there from a coaching staff perspective than what we ever had with Dykes and the defensive coaching staff. And so I just think it's got to return to the mean for us on offense. I really do. The turnover stuff, like it's just I can't stress that like how devastating those are. But everything else, total yard. You look at McElwain's number in a total vacuum, besides the turnovers, which okay, I gotta stop doing this. But if you look at the yardage numbers, they're really impressive. Yeah. And we can gash if we can gash defenses like that for big gains and get points out of it and not turn the ball over, then we can hang with Stanford, we can hang with Washington, we can hang with SC, and we can hang with Colorado. Like we can play in the top tier of this conference and we can come away and be really happy about where this season went let me let me give you the the glasses half full version of McIlwain's statistics what did he do in the Oregon game he threw picks and he gave up two fumbles right did he give up any fumbles this game uh yes but no scooping scores <laughs> Rob, you're but, like, but it was a pick six but it was a pick six Two of them. Yeah, it was a pick six. <laughs> That's so I'm, I'm, way too glass. I know. Successful. I know. I know. Did he I give up a fumble for a touchdown? I don't know why. No, I'm he did it. not. I'm just, I'm just trying to give some type of positive. <laughs> he only on gave up seen. two interceptions for touchdowns. I'm just Improvements, saying, baby. Baby steps. Baby steps. <laughs> baby steps. Okay, we're closing in on. We're about ten minutes away from our usual hour mark. So let's let's move on from this game. All right, and let's 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 look at UCLA. All right. I want I want to talk to ask both of you guys what does this team need to do in practice this week? Like if you're if you're Wilcox, what are your let's say three points of emphasis um, like to any to any position group or like to the team as a whole that you are drilling into them to prep them for the Joe Roth game on Saturday? Andy, you want to start with this one? First of all, I think we're going to smash UCLA. So let me just say Start that. Start with that one. Okay. First here, uh, I don't think it's going to be a close game. Uh, practice. Like, I don't know. We're at home, uh, so maybe work with the O-line on some sort of snap count that they can get on the same page with. McElwain needs to work on uh, timing, like managing the clock. So I'd work on clock scenarios with him, and then I wouldn't have him work. I would have him work on passing the football, but ideally the game plan wouldn't be around him passing. So number one, kind of clock management, minimalizing pe- minimal minimalizing penalties uh, on the offense side of the ball, and then uh, defensively, the only thing I would say is like don't lose contain on the quarterback. So if you have a running quarterback. Uh, you know, work on the plays where if like Funchess is to do this, watching the quarterback, get the quarterback. Like, don't worry about if he's going to hand the ball off. You got other guys that got your back. If we could do simply those three things, we'll win this football game and we'll win it by a couple of scores. And I won't be worried about it. That's it. Uh, you know, minimize the mistakes and then basically a, a higher level of execution. Uh, the one, if I could have four, I'd say like bring in some youth. Bring in some guys that aren't seeing the field. Give somebody else an opportunity that hasn't seen it, whether it's uh, Nico at wide receiver, which I don't think we'll see, so that's not realistic, but Dancy at running back. Um, I mean, Callan Castle's tight end. Like, Just give me something of somebody else that might be able to come in and provide a spark that we're not otherwise seeing. Defensively, don't make any changes. Yeah. For me, it's so back when Michael Vick was with the uh, Eagles, he had fumbling problems. So Andy Reid, I think he told Michael Vick to carry the ball around, and whoever knocks the ball off uh, Vick's hands during the practice week get you know get an award or something like that. The same thing with McIlwain. Like he, the way he carries the ball when he's out of the pocket, it's 
It's like he's holding a loaf of bread and it's just ready to be fumbled away. Especially the fumble in this game. He fell on the ball when he was holding it way away from his body. And it just popped out. And we can't have that. You know, can't have these mistakes with ball security and with interceptions. You know, this will just take game experience. It will make him realize, okay, in game time, I, I'm not able to make this throw. I will try, but only in practice. Uh on for the O line, you know, I think ball control is important. I think they should be able to, you know, take over this game by running the ball and running for the ball for good yardage. Whether it's Laird, whether it's Dancy, whether it's Chris Brown, Neferda, or McQueen, you know, we should be getting a much better run to pass percentage than what we had in the second half of the Arizona game, as you guys mentioned, you know, we completely abandoned the run. We can't abandon the run in this game. It will give the defense more time to breathe, to rest, and it will give the offense less chances to turn the ball over. Simple as that. And finally, for the defense, I'll just make sure they watch the quick passing game of uh, UCLA. If you're going to let them complete a pass, then don't let them run for any additional yardage, tackle and secure. Because a lot of time, one of the touchdowns against Washington, you know, the wideout took, grabbed the ball and slipped past three tackles, and you know, it's got a touchdown. We can't have that happen. And as Andy said, you know, if we we can do the basics of football, solid tackling, ball security, and time management, we'll win this game and win this game well. And you know, I will not, you know, we will not all be writing angry articles about, you know, the disappointment that we've, we've been feeling about this offense. Here's, here's my one. This is the only thing for me is you sit Mac, you sit McElwain down, right? They, I mean, we're recording this on Monday. So what I would have done, you sit McElwain down first thing Sunday morning, right? And you, you give us, you give him a schedule, all right, of non-practice things to do. First thing is, you're sitting in a film room with the DBs and with your wide receivers. You're going through every single route that you've thrown, and you're also going through all of the UCLA tape of their DBs, and you're asking, you're asking our guys, where do I need to throw? Like, what, what, are, they, what are they hiding? Like, pick, pick our premier DBs' brain on how to defeat this UCLA uh, defensive back, on these defensive backs. Second thing, I am forcing him to do running back drills with the running backs. Um, just the ball security stuff, like how to make the one cuts um, into the gaps. I'm letting him do that fully. Uh, and the third thing is I'm saying three hours before practice, three hours after practice, get out there with your wide receivers and call all the DBs and just throw. Like just do two-hand touch regular throws on any single route possible because <laughs> – you are literally, I just want to say, you are asking him to spend 10 hours yeah, a day. Yeah, I am. I am. The, the, they are student athletes. Yeah, the reason, the, reason I'm asked, the reason I would say this is because, one, all throughout camp, right? So he, here's my reasoning. All throughout camp, you gave all of the first team reps to Bowers. McElwain got in there every once in a while as the second. Garbers and the other guys didn't even get a touch all throughout camp when you run all this all the segments. So he's already he's already behind on that, right? So he has not a lot of repertoire with the starting wide receivers, right? He doesn't know where guys like the ball, where when he's gonna break, just just the little things of being around and throwing to the same guys consistently. The the second thing is all of the wide receivers and the tight ends raved about how Ross called them and would want to throw on at any given moment or or uh, or time that they had. Here's the flip side to that: if Ross was throwing with them, does that mean the other quarterbacks threw with them? Like we we don't know, but for the sake of the argument, let's say it was just Ross throwing with them. Then clearly, there's going to be a chemistry gap between him and the wide receivers compared to Ross and the wide receivers. Somehow you have to make up that gap. And the only way to do that is to spend time with one another throwing and catching. And I feel like you ha- you have to somehow do some type of crash course, you know, to to build up that that chemistry as quickly as you possibly can to as close to 100% as you possibly can. And the only way you can do that is to do that outside of practice time. 
because most of the practice time for this week anyways is going to be either one development and or two game planning like it's going to be a lot of walkthroughs this is our menu this is what we're going to do against ucla and just run through like game situations and and so on and so forth so i think it needs to be them outside of practice getting in those reps of of throwing to those guys because i i feel like the connection between him and duncan have gotten better at least over the last two games and it's only going to get better but you 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 have to tell him hey you're our quarterback for the rest of the year get that chemistry up with with your guys and know the playbook it's cool that it's getting better but i really want it to get better with noah i think noah's our best receiver and it's not even close and so he's he's the x factor for me he's the person that we need to come back Vic Gordon, as far as the receiver to me, is just he is what he is. Like sometimes he can get loose, and if you can hit him on that one route when he's open, it's great. Otherwise, he just gets bottled up. Yep. Duncan has great hands. I mean, I, I, he. I think he has the best hands on the team. Yeah. You throw anywhere near him, he's catching it. Even more better than Noah's. Yeah. I. There's no question from from everything from everything that I've seen in practice and and otherwise. No question, Duncan has the best hands. Noah is by far the most clutch player. But you put you put anything, any ball around his catch radius for Duncan, he's come down with it. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Anyone got any closing closing thoughts? Uh, let Peter, where are you where are you gonna watch this this UCLA game? I'm going to watch this at the Cal DC alumni watch party at the uh, Home Slice on K Street in DC. I'm going to buy a pint of beer and sit down and hope I will not have to finish it by myself. (laughs) (laughs) Go Bears! (laughs) Uh, Andy, you and I will be in the box, of course. Back in the booth. Back in the booth for... for, Our uh, venture outside of the booth didn't work, so... I figure we'll go back. Maybe Berkeley Bowl will have the blue and gold gummy bears. Please do. I'm, I'm going to go back and ask for them. But, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be a fun time. Joe Roth game, 4 p.m. on a Saturday. Like, what more can you ask for? The weather here has been pretty hot the last couple of days, but they did say the weather is dropping about 13 to 15 degrees starting tomorrow. So it should be in the mid to low 60s come Saturday, which I am hoping for, which would be Awesome. Yeah, so uh, be a great game. 78. That's what it says for Saturday? <laughs> Lord. <laughs> God. Well, at least they'll close the windows and the AC will be turned on for us. So No way. We'll be all... We'll be Keep the windows open. <laughs> nice. Oh, my gosh. Don't even get me started. It's so much better when the windows are open. You weren't there in the Oregon game with the windows open. That was not fun. That was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you guys are doing the booth because the one time I was in the booth for the UNC game, I could not turn off my fan brain. I kept interrupting people, and they're like, shh, quiet. I was like, did you see that play? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was this at when we played at UNC? Yeah, yeah. I flew down yeah, he took on the my first week of work. Yeah, I took the booth. And um, it was it Rivals? And uh, not it wasn't rivals. It was Bear Insider and Scout guys. I don't remember. Oh, Gorsi and that guy from uh, Bear Insider were just like. I was like, did you guys see that play or not? Like, yeah, trust me. <laughs> I literally had to bite my inside of my mouth in order not to scream out on some place. Like um, that touchdown. We know all me. too well about that. It's an acquired talent. Yeah. <laughs> Getting told, uh, you guys need to be really cool. Yeah, it's a required <laughs> you guys need skill. To com- you guys need to calm down. Like, excuse me. I got no chill. We are a <laughs> fan blog. <laughs> I mean, what do you expect? Does not say professional <laughs> reporter here. It says fan blog. Uh, Honestly, I should add to my name tag in the future. I got no chill. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, that pretty much wraps it up for us here from... Uh, from the Golden Blogs podcast. Andy, do you have any stuff going up this week? Offensive preview, already done. Going up to Wednesday, Wednesday. morning. Yep. Uh, Peter, you got any stuff going up this week? Uh, Friday, advanced stats as usual. I need to start writing it, but it's 2 a.m. in DC. I'm going to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, thanks for staying up. I don't know why I even asked this question because I'm, I'm, I'm the editor, so I have the schedule on me, and yet I still ask you guys every time. Like, I know what you're writing, but I ask you guys every <laughs> single time. What do, what do you guys write? It's nice. Week? It's nice to be asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, look out for that stuff. Um, as usual, if you found us, then that means you're listening to us on some way or form, whether that be SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. Hit the like, the subscribe button, comment, uh, do what you need to, share, all that good stuff. You know the usual on social media. Um, that will help us out a lot just to get our exposure out there. And that's. And have you guys tried Blue Apron? <laughs> <laughs> I did forget to mention our podcast was bought, brought to you today by The Booth Brewing. Hashtag follow your fun. So that wraps it up for us. And as always, go Bears. Go Bears. Go Bears. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.